Good morning. I don't really know how I feel about Tracy telling about throwing the hometown boy over a cliff before I ever start preaching. But I'm doubly concerned about Reese and this ice cream situation. I don't even think it's right you accuse people of things like that. So, If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd actually like to ask you to find Matthew 22. And in about the middle, we'll flip over to Matthew 28. But a few weeks ago, I, I shared a message to you guys about having prophetic vision, and then I wanted to follow it up with this particular message today, and, and in between we had some weather and the Lord's Supper. So we're really coming back for a, a part two and three, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ram them together and bless you. You know, I'm going to ram them, especially y'all early service people. Y'all, nobody's going to beat you the hardest. They're already there. At, at later service, they'll be worried about Golden Corral, but we'll get them right. Don't worry. You know, the thing is, I, I think a lot of times we honestly, we lose view of what the church is supposed to be about. Amen. You know, it's not just a place you go at a certain time to go and see a certain person. The church is the body of Christ on earth. And it's got, it's got a purpose, right? And that purpose cannot be fulfilled with just some activities during the week, right? It has to be fulfilled by a certain sort of lifestyle. And so when I search the scriptures, just, just by way of warm up, and, and I, 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 I say, well, what's the purpose of the church? If you had to sum it up in a sentence. And so if I had to sum it up in a sentence, I'd, I'd put it over on Romans chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. They say, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if I was to say, like, what's that one thing the church should be doing? Giving glory to God. And having this sort of, well, take the word sort of out, take that phrase out. Having this dynamic unity and harmony that doesn't make sense in a fractured world. Amen. We, we, we don't have any problem finding things to divide over. Somebody say amen. amen. We'll divide over anything, you know. Um, NASCAR racing's coming up here in a week or so. I actually don't know when it's coming up, so don't nobody ruin it for me. People will be divided over who likes this driver and that driver and who likes this car and that car and blah, blah, blah. The Super Bowl, none of us really care. None of the teams we like are in it. We just don't want the Patriots to win. <laughs> Duke and Carolina or Carolina and State or Duke and anything. I mean, we, you know, racial situations, uh, denominational situations. I tell people all the time, I like my denominations united. 20s, 50s, 100s, put them all together. We have no problem finding something to be divided over, right? But if you were to see from the scriptures, if you were to look at the scriptures, that what God's heart for us is, is that we might bring him some glory together. That we would break down the odds. That we would, we would bust out of the norm. And that with one mind and one mouth, we would glorify the Lord together. Amen. So then I started to say, well, how do we do that? And if I were to sum that up. I would look at John chapter 15 and verse number 8. It says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You'll find it interesting. In John chapter 8 he says, 
he says, you'll prove to be my disciples by abiding in the truth. In John 13, he says, you'll prove to be my disciples by your love for one another. In John 15, he says, you'll prove to be my disciples by bearing fruit to the glory of God. There's a great primer. You ever want to check, say, am I proven to my own heart, to my own self? Am I proven to my spouse? Am I proven to my kids? Am I proven I'm a disciple of Jesus? That's a great primer, isn't it? Abiding in his word, loving one another, particularly loving the brethren, he means. Loving them like Jesus loved us with sacrifice and bearing fruit. But what's the purpose of the church? Glorify God. How do we glorify God? Bear fruit. What is that fruit? Well, that's a sermon series. But what if I would to say, I want to sum it up as inner fruit and outer fruit. Inner fruit is when the Holy Spirit is so, so filling and leading our lives that the character of Jesus takes over our life. In other words, we are dying and he's coming to life in us. Now that runs counter to our culture because our culture, our culture, and I don't care whether you listen to country music or hip hop. Our culture is all about saying, I'm the man, and here's my proof, right? My car is bigger or my truck is bigger. My ladies are prettier or my ladies are whatever. I mean, you know, I got a four-wheel drive, and I got this, and I got a fishing pole, and I got a big chain. And Our culture says, be the man. God's culture says, give it all up to Jesus. Die to self. Paul says in Galatians 2, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives He's taken up residence and he's taken over the show. So that's inner fruit when Jesus is taken over the show. Outer fruit is when we start laboring, we start working. When worship and ministry and evangelism and fellowship and discipleship are the purposes of our life. They are the directions of our life. Inner fruit, being like Jesus. Outer fruit, doing like Jesus. Now, with that as a framework this morning, I want to talk about putting our faith into action. When we get a vision for how God wants us to live and we get after it. I'm not talking about coming to church, although thank God y'all are at church. Look at your neighbor and say, good morning. morning. Turn around and say, hey, y'all. Wave at everybody. I'm glad you're here. Everybody say amen. Amen. But I'm really interested in y'all continuing to be the church when you leave out this room. Really interested in that, right? And having not just the words of Jesus, but also the compassion of Jesus, not just the compassion of Jesus, but also the words of Jesus, never forsaking, allowing him to be Lord of the inner person and allowing him to work through the outer person. Be the church, to be the church. So I want to look at a few things this morning. I want to use two passages to do that. And I pray that it will encourage somebody. But more than that, I pray it will challenge somebody to take that holy inventory and say, man, what am I doing with my life? And am I doing what is best and most exciting? Am I doing what is best and most exciting? <clears throat> Excuse me. Looking at Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 34. I'll read this passage and open in prayer, and we'll get to Matthew 28 in a, in a little bit. Matthew 22, 24. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. <clears throat> and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? 
And he, Jesus said to him, the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Father, as we open your word, we need a spiritual miracle to happen. Lord, we're an educated society. We, we understand literature. We, we're, 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 we very much are literate. We know how to read. But Father, if this thing is going to become truth and life to us, it will take your Holy Spirit to open it to us. So Father, where I need to get out of the way, move me. But give us understanding. Where you can use me, do it. But give us understanding. And then, Father, especially in those areas where I have nothing to do with it, show up and speak to your people. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen. Now, let me say this. Whenever you see a therefore in the Scriptures, you better back up and find out what it's there for. And if you see a but, you better figure out why that but then stuck itself in there. In this case, some Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection had just come, and they, they were trying to get Jesus to say something crazy publicly so that they could condemn him and say, hey, y'all, that guy ain't right. And so they came and asked him a question in the preceding verses about the resurrection. And what he basically tells them is, boys, y'all don't even understand a single thing. You look at verse number 29, Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. What a condemnation on the leaders. You know, the other day I was listening to NPR. I actually like to listen to NPR. Um, label me whatever you want. But they brought this lady on there was an expert in the scriptures. That's what they, they listed her as an expert in the scriptures. And she basically said, the devil ain't real. And went to give all these Bible verses to Prove it. I was, I was riding down the road by myself yelling at the radio, Lady, you is crazy. Because I'm real smart like that. And I quoted this, this verse to the radio. It's a recorded show, y'all. It won't even live. I'm talking to the radio to a recorded show. And I'm yelling at it going, You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And I, it kind of dawned on me like, Tim, do you know how dumb you are? You're yelling at a recorded show on the radio. But I do sometimes wish that we could be shook up a little bit and see what is the meaning of the scriptures and to truly receive the power of God. Jesus straightens these old boys out. He says, y'all don't even get what life is about. You definitely don't get what heaven's about. Aha. You don't get what life's about. You definitely don't get what heaven's about. You don't understand what marriage is down here. You definitely don't understand what marriage is up there. You don't understand what living is here, and you don't understand what life will be there. That's the condemnation he puts on us. He says, boys, y'all don't get it. So then we get this but. So they had another question. We didn't stump him on this issue of resurrection. Let's stump him on the issue of the law. Guess what? You don't stump Jesus. And so Jesus gives them some powerful answers that sort of tell us something about the purpose of life. And that first purpose of life we see is to cultivate a life of worship. If you go and look at what Jesus says in verse number 37, it's, it's age old. It's age old, right? 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And he adds, when he quotes in the New Testament, he adds in his quote to the Old Testament, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Cultivate a life of worship. Now, I, I struggled. I looked for that word. I looked for that word cultivate for a while. I wanted to choose just the right word. And if you were raised at all on a farm or in a rural life, you know what it means to cultivate. That means to intentionally prepare so that you can intentionally plant. In other words, you're, you're thinking of fruit because of the preparatory stages. Cultivate a life of worship. What are you doing what are you cultivating in your life so that you will erupt in giving God reverence and glory? Cultivate a life of worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And I think that has a few parts that are worth noting. How do you cultivate a life of worship? First, you have to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, if you're married, raise your hand. If you're married, raise your hand. Okay. Now, don't raise your hand because the, the number of hands will get a whole lot less. Let me talk to the men for a moment. How many of you guys date your wives? Now, you dated her and you got her, but how many of you guys still date her? How many of you guys still pursue her? How many of you guys are still romantic? How many of you guys still make plans? Right. Imagine if you just, you know, Beyonce even said, if you like it, put a ring on it. But it's not just about putting a ring on it, is it? It is about living life together. And, and, and people don't fall out of love. They stop doing the actions of love. So they stop feeling the feelings of love and the feelings of love fall out of them because they stop doing the actions of love. So when I tell you to cultivate a relationship with Jesus is really critical. Go a couple slides here for me in the back. In, in Luke chapter 10, verse 42, you guys know the story of Mary and Martha. Uh, Jesus winds up saying this to Martha. He says, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. He didn't say that Martha being busy about serving was wrong. What he was saying was, don't serve at the expense of fellowship with Jesus. The best service of all flows from fellowship with Jesus. Amen. For example, fellas, you can do what you ought to do. And, and then, you know, I've seen it. I've, I've, I've been in pastoral ministry 18, 19, a bunch of years. People come to me. I've heard it more. I, we just fell out of love. And, and I've seen people really surprised. Well, I was doing this and I was doing that. You were. You were doing stuff, but you weren't cultivating the relationship. So you were filling your checklist. I was going to work every day. I made sure, you know, we took care of the kids and we made all the sports events. And we done. But they didn't really do this. They didn't connect. They didn't cultivate a relationship with one another. And so I'm not saying don't serve. As a matter of fact, y'all probably got a bunch of Marthas in here. Thank God for Marthas. Somebody say amen. amen. But I pray those Marthas are Marthas because they have, they have set at Jesus' feet and they desire to please him and love others. Amen. You have to cultivate a relationship with Jesus before you'll have a life of worship. Secondly, you've got to cultivate spiritual disciplines. <clears throat> what do I mean by that? You need spiritual habits 
spiritual habits. I would throw up this really simple example here from Matthew chapter 6, verses 2, 5, and 16. I just give the, the, the little beginnings of them. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. And I put these up here just as an example. Jesus said all of these. And he didn't say them like uh, when you get time. He said them as an expectation. When you give. In other words, he's expecting us to be givers. When you pray, he's expecting us to be prayers. When you fast, he's expecting us to fast. Now, now in, in Southern Baptist life, we, we, we often think when we feel spiritual, let's eat twice as much. We don't know much about fasting. We, we're better at slowing. And there's all sorts of fasting. I'd encourage you guys to learn about fasting. And I could put up tons, tons of spiritual disciplines from the scripture. I put these three up because they really drive on the point from Jesus' own mouth. There's an expectation of a spiritual life that has disciplines in it that allow you and cause you to pursue the Lord. If you're going to have a life of worship, you need to be building that life. You need to be cultivating a relationship with Jesus, and you need to cultivate spiritual disciplines. Position yourself to have results from your spiritual disciplines. I would, I would show you 2 Timothy 2.15, where the Apostle Paul is speaking to Pastor Timothy, and he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Now, everybody, you see those next two words? What are those next two words? A worker. A what? Worker. Now, I, I, I'm going to tell you all. Now, I'm finna to get mad. Just go ahead and buckle up. I get sick and tired of people telling me they don't, want, they don't read the scriptures because they don't understand them. Look at that phrase right there. One of the things I did as a teenager is I jobbed myself out to install and repair fence lines, right? I would have never dug one, one fence post hole if I would have avoided those two words. We didn't have a tractor with one of those fancy schmancy drills on it. We had one of those Chinese versions. I like, Tim, do you like digging post holes? No. Tim, do you like getting paid? Yes. The payoff from Scripture often only comes with work, surrender, and an openness for God to show you something that you don't like. Amen. We need to develop that spiritual discipline. If you have a life of worship, you need disciplines of giving, fasting, praying, reading the Scriptures. Thirdly, I'd say to develop, to cultivate a life of worship, you need to embrace humility. I tell my children this all the time. I tell it to them all the time. The pathway to greatness is humble service. Again, that runs against the American culture. The American culture is a chest-pounding exercise of public pride. I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. You know, watch out for number one. You do you. Take care of yourself. But look at what Jesus says in Matthew 20. This is speaking of the 12 apostles. When the 10 heard of it, they were indignant at the two brothers. They were mad at them boys' mama. And boys' mama come and said, just like on a ball team, when the mama says, put my son in the game. Somebody going to get mad. They were indignant. Them boys want to be moved up to the front and call their mommy in to help. Could you imagine 
Could you imagine getting your mama to tell Jesus to put you in the game? I mean, just think about how funny that is. Your mama running up to the bullpen and saying, hey, my boy should be on the field. Like he doesn't know. So these guys were mad at these two brothers. Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Aha, stop church, get a principle. The principle of fleshly leadership. The principle is pride that exalts self over others. You don't know the problem in most families? This one's battling that one. In a fleshly way. You don't know the problem in local churches? This one or that group is battling this one or that other group. You want to find out who your real leader is? You do one of those Solomon wisdom tests. You know, Solomon had the baby and says, okay, we'll just split the baby in half. And the real mama says, no, don't do that. Right? You want, to, you want to find out who's really walking with Jesus? Then when you encounter a problem, you find that person who will get down on their knees and pray until they're broken themselves. Not until you're broken. That's the way we most time pray. Lord, fix them. <laughs> the real spiritual person gets down on their knees and says, Lord, help me. So you see, see it right here in the scriptures. You know, verse 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, that their great ones exercise authority over them. Now look at what Jesus says. Are you ready, church? Read it with me. Verse 26, y'all ready? It shall not be so among you. Do you need any other reason? You need any other reason to embrace Jesus' method of leadership. He said, don't do that. You can quote me on that. Don't do that. That's not going to be our way. Now, he does give a pathway to greatness here. Read that next line with me. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. So does Jesus say don't be great? Does Jesus say don't be great? No, he doesn't say that. He gives you a pathway to greatness in the kingdom of God. What is the pathway of greatness? Humble service. I wish I was telling this in August right before the nominating committee was meeting to get people to do stuff. See, y'all remember it in August. Amen. Amen. Do it again. Do it again. Now, he, get, he says, so there's the principle. Do you want to be great? Be a servant. Now he says, what's that look like? And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Cultivate a life of humility or embrace a life of humility that is signaled by how you serve one another. Coming up here, well, Lord willing, I'll say it like that. I'm going to do a sermon on humility soon. Now, don't forget, we're under this, uh, <clears throat> the, the, the first point here. And somebody said, he said five and he's still on number one. That's right. Good counting. Cultivate a life of worship, you got to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. You got to cultivate spiritual disciplines. You have to embrace humility and you have to practice thankfulness. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. You can find tons of scriptures. That one happens to be 1 Chronicles 16 34. I don't know who first said it, but I've always loved the little saying What if you only had tomorrow those things you thank God for today? Like, just for example, when's the last time, when's the last time 
You, you, you got down on your knees or stood on your feet. It don't matter to me which posture you take. And offered the sacrifice of thankfulness. We, we, we sing the song. Will y'all sing it with me? Will somebody help me? Count your blessings, name them. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Man, if you got a thankful heart and you know who to thank, then worship will come more natural. Praise profusely. Praise profusely. I can give you lots of verses. Let me give you Psalm 717. I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Praise profusely. Everywhere you go, be praising the Lord. When I first became a youth pastor, associate pastor, one of my jobs was to work with the youth at Bears Grove Baptist Church. I, I, I didn't know how much I said praise God until we had a little variety show and all the youth were mocking me by saying they would praise God, praise God. And I felt a little weird. You know, I was like, man, they're picking on me. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. If there's something you want to be known for, amen. amen. Come on, something you want to be known for, praise the Lord. So what did I just say? I don't want you to miss it because that's just one point. And y'all are nervous. Good. <laughs> Cultivate a life of worship. What does worship even mean? It means to reverence someone, to pay respect, to, to give an offering. That's what worship means. And if you're going to do that, you, you, you got to cultivate it. And there's lots of pieces that will make worship grow in your life. He says here, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You won't do that unless you cultivate it. Number two, cultivate lives of service. Lives of service. Now, why do I say this like this? Jesus says the second command is like that first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. So why would I say cultivate lives of service? To me, I say this because it's simple. Love is action. All actions produce emotions. We often get that backwards. If I don't have the emotions, I won't do the actions. If I do have the emotions, I will do the actions. I've been getting along good with my wife, so she's going to get a big Valentine's Day present. No, I'm going to get a big Valentine's Day present because I want to get along with my wife. It's a lot going on behind this beard. I'm telling y'all. I'm not just another pretty face. <laughs> when you read in the scriptures right here that all on, on these two things, loving God, get this now, look at your neighbor and say, loving God. loving God. Look at your neighbor and say, loving others. Loving the man, the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus says everything y'all read in the law and the prophets, all of it's about these two things. Amen. Whoa. Whoa. So when you read in the scriptures and, and, and you don't get as an end result to love God and love others, you got to go back and start your study over. So when you read no prophet Amos and he's going off about something and you don't see how that leads you to love God and love others. Jesus himself said all the law, all the prophets are about this. You better back up until you find loving God and loving others in Amos. 
when you read Obadiah and he talks about smashing them Edomites, you better back up until you see the love of God in it. You're not getting the point of it. Somebody say amen. Later on, later on in Luke 24, you know what Jesus tells him boys on the road to Emmaus? He says, guys, did y'all not understand that all the scriptures are about me? Aha, you see how that ties together? Living the life Jesus wants you to live, which is his life in you, leads to loving God and loving others. And everything in this book is about pushing you to him so he can lead you to love God and love others. Amen. Boom. Somebody said, that's enough. No, it's not. <laughs> Look at Matthew 28 real quick. See, y'all, they don't see this, but I'm on my second page. That's my last page. Y'all watch them. They're looking relieved. You'll know to look relieved. <laughs> if I've told you cultivate lives of worship, cultivate lives of service. Secondly, or third, thirdly, rather, I'd want to tell you to reach the world. Reach the world. The Great Commission reads like this. It's starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. See that? When they saw him, they did what, church? You know why? Because they had been walking with him. They were cultivating lives of worship all along. And when they saw him, the object of their worship, it was natural to worship him. They saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That meant they were struggling. They realized he was worthy, but life is hard. Somebody say amen. Amen. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Reach the world. Reach the world. When you have cultivated a life of worship and a life of service, you will be about the Father's business of wanting others to so be filled with Him that they, they themselves cultivate lives of worship and lives of service. Amen. It's actually easy to show up to church. That's an event. You know what's righteous? To live for Jesus all week, every week. Amen. All day, every day. Amen. I could quote tons of verses. But I give you part of Psalm 23, 5. My cup runneth over. Why do I, why did I feel led to quote this? Okay? I'm going to tell you. Because he asked for that in the presence of his enemies. I mean, he, he, he proclaimed, my cup runneth over in the presence of his enemies. Walking with the good shepherd does not mean the road will be easy. It means he will be with you. And when he is with you, your cup runs over even in the midst of difficulty. So when Jesus gave them the great commission in Matthew 28, he didn't say everything's going to be easy. He said, I'm going to be with y'all. Somebody say amen. Amen. I'll never forget taking my daughter her first piano recital. She's still very nervous about playing the piano in public. She's been playing for years. And I told her, I said, daddy will be with you. But she says, but you won't play. That's profound, isn't it? You're like, yeah, you're going to be sitting in the audience. What good does that do me? Don't you see that Jesus' promise isn't just to walk alongside you as some unengaged 
participant, as a watcher. No, he is in you. He is before you. He is behind you. He is beside you. He is above you. He is the foundation in which you stand, the head on which you get your thoughts, the power that moves your muscles. His promise to be with you is complete. He will give you the will to do right, and then he'll give you the power to go do it. In reach the world, even in the presence of difficulty. Or well, check out this verse right here, First Peter chapter three, verse fifteen. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Live this life of readiness, not because you're able, but because he's with you. Always be ready. Fourthly, let's cultivate the church. I'm back to that word cultivate. It just stuck in my spirit over the last couple of weeks as I prepared this message. Cultivate the church. The Lord Jesus tells them to, to go make disciples of all nations. He doesn't just say, get people to bow their head and raise their hand. That's right. he's, he's basically, t- and, and I'll tell you, this is where I get really passionate about our work at My Life Matters. I'm going to go ahead and tell it. We're bringing people alongside young people for lifelong relationship where they exemplify, they, they show the life of Christ as they speak the truth of Christ. They live the gospel and share the gospel. Why? Because we don't want somebody to bow their heads and for 10 seconds to say a prayer. We want to see them for the next 65, 70, 85 years walk with Jesus and change this community. We've long time ago learned that a decision is easy, a lifestyle is hard. So we want to we cultivate the church. We want to make disciples. And yes, it begins a lot of times and with a lot of people's lives with baptism. I love the story in Acts chapter 8 when that man understood the gospel. He, he basically says, hey, why can't I be baptized? I love, I love the response in eight, Acts 8.36. And as they went on their way, there came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What hinders me to identify with Jesus? See, baptism, you ready? Burial and resurrection. What stops me to start this identity? Man, nothing. God will receive you. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. What stops you then to join with people? And somebody in here probably needs to join this church. Somebody in here probably needs to come obediently and, and get yourself baptized and join publicly. Let people see that you are buried with Jesus and you are raised with Jesus. And from that moment on, you're so embraced in the life of Jesus that you want everybody who can tell you and help you in any way to be like Jesus to walk with you. Amen. Now, we're showing up at Theresa Baptist Church. Praise God. Praise God. But are you making disciples? Are you turning to your right and your left? Are you looking to people less mature than you in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, and helping them grow? Are you looking at people more mature, and they don't always have to be older than you, people more mature in the Lord and saying, hey, I'm open to you leading and teaching me. Are you looking at people who are right where you are and leaning into each other and pushing each other to go and grow? Cultivate the church. Don't just show up in the building. Amen. And last but not least, you, you know why that first one was so long because it's so important. If you don't have a life of worship, you won't, you won't pursue any of this other stuff. Right. 
I mean, if, if you don't have a life of reverence and respect for God, then you're not going to go off and do his stuff. Come on now, church. And I'm not talking about a life of complaining on social media. That's easier than coming to church. You don't even got to get out of your pajamas. Lord Almighty, if complaints was tithes, we'd be rich. So last but not least, this is about making disciples, not making hand raisers. Jesus challenges us when he tells us to make disciples, teaching them to observe or obey every command. The Apostle Paul in Colossians put it like this, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That means becoming more and more like him every day. Now, let me pull a drawstring around all this. Did y'all see that? 20 minutes in point one. Did y'all see that? 10 minutes in the other four. I ought to get an extra donut for that this morning. Man, a lot of people feel like God is calling to their heart, but they feel like Christianity is boring. Like they're giving up fun. Okay, I, I, I'll finally come to Jesus when I give up fun. No. See, see, that's just a misunderstanding of this life, number one. Number two, it's a misunderstanding of him. He didn't come to make bad folks good or, or, or fun people boring. He came to make dead people live. But the life that Jesus wants to give you is not your best life now. It's his best life forever. It's his life. What an exciting thing to be given the life of God. And to go out and look at the world. And to challenge yourself to look at the world, look at your abilities, and to look at your weaknesses, to look at your resources, and to look at your schedule, and say, Jesus, this is all yours. Do with it what you will. Amen. That's exciting to me. That's super exciting to me. You know, my family's sort of simple. And so we'll play this game where I'll put a bunch of envelopes uh, together. And in the envelopes, they'll have these different scenarios in them, like go to Barnes & Noble and read their books for free and get Starbucks, you know. Uh, and then another one will say, you know, go to American Hero and talk to half of Roxborough before we come back home. Another one will say, we'll, we'll go on a scavenger hunt around Walmart and buy nothing. I'm sure they appreciate that. And we'll put five, six, seven envelopes together and say, pick a number. Whatever number they pick, we'll average them together. And whichever one's close, we'll pull that envelope and go do it. Right? Most of us are afraid God's going to call us to do something really uncomfortable. You're exactly accurate. He's going to call you to live just like Jesus. And it's not so mysterious, even as our silly envelopes. He's already told you what that looks like. The cool thing is, he is calling you to that life. I mean, he wants you to live Jesus' life, to be about making disciples, not dollars. Amen. To be about loving people, 
in reality, actually loving them with action, not just saying words. I'm asking you today, friend, do you feel like you have Jesus' life in you? Or do you feel like you're just trying to cobble together some interesting plans between now and the grave? What I want to do is get up every day. This is what I want to do. I want to get up every day and say, God, I'm your boy. And Jesus, you're in me. What do you want to do today? How do you want to win Person County? How do you want to see people's lives change? Where can I be of service? How can my calendar be yours? How can my bank account be yours? How can my mouth be yours? How can my hands be yours? I want a life submitted to God because he's got better plans for me than I could ever imagine for myself. Amen. And he's not cobbling them together. You want a life of worship? You want a life of service? You want a life that's a, about making disciples? You first of all have to be submitted to the master. Let me ask you today, where are you at in that relationship? Have you ever given your life to God through the Lord Jesus have you, have you done that and, you, and you've yet to be baptized? Have you been, have you been to that place where you say, I, I'm just, I, I don't want to go there. That's a little too much for me. Are you that person who says, yes, I believe, but that belief basically amounts to you coming here on Sunday morning? God wants to unleash you on the world. Now, I'm not going to try to be the Holy Spirit, but we are going to have a time of decision. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I want to trust the Holy Spirit to do that. So this morning, if you need to make some sort of decision for the Lord, he'll be the one prompting you. He'll be the one pushing you. Maybe you need to surrender your life to the Lord and believe that Jesus' blood covers your sin and that Jesus' life is giving you life. Remember what he told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you won't even see the kingdom of God. Some people don't see the kingdom of God because they're not born again. Or maybe he's telling you, man, it's, it's time for me to lock down and, 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 and be like that eunuch and say, hey, what's stopping me from getting baptized? Join with that image of Jesus. Maybe you need to embrace discipleship. You're not faithful in Sunday school. You don't have accountability partner. I mean, whatever that looks like to you. I'm asking you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I'm going to pray, and then our, our close, excuse me, our hymn of decision is trust and obey. It's number 500. What a great one. Actually engage with God as you sing the words. And if you can't sing them honestly, just hum with us. It needs to be one of those ones you sing it honestly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Theresa Baptist Church. Thank you for the word. Thank you that you have a challenge before us to, to live the life Jesus wants for us. And it's not boring and it's not lame. It is powerful. It is life changing. It is community changing. And I pray God that you use Theresa Baptist Church and East Rock Community Church. I pray you use me and my family to live the life of Jesus here in this county. To bring you glory. To bear fruit. To see others come to you. Now in this time of decision, Holy Spirit, you speak as only you could. You know exactly how to deal with each of us, and we trust you. In Jesus we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing, trust and obey.